Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Operation Earth. Conversations with comedians about climate change. Hosted by me, Dr. Matt Winning. I've been an environmental researcher for the last decade and also a stand-up comedian for almost the same amount of time. For years, I used comedy really as an escape in the evenings to stop thinking about how terrible everything was on this planet. But now I think it's time we talk about it, hence this podcast. So in each episode, I speak to a different special guest comedian about what's been happening recently to our planet, what they are doing about it, and any of their worries or questions they have about planet Earth. But it's going to be funny. It's a podcast for anyone who cares about the planet, but probably isn't doing much about it. This is for you. This week's episode is me chatting to Mark Watson, who you probably know from loads of TV stuff, things like Mock the Week, Have I Get News For You, Never Mind the Buzzcocks, Would I Lie To You, Taskmaster, blah, blah, blah. He's done loads. He's also done loads of stand-up shows. I think he's doing three shows at Edinburgh this year. He's always doing stupid amounts of things, uh, which is incredibly inspiring to see. He's got a show on tour at the moment called The Infinite Show, which I saw last year. And it's still going because it's infinite, I guess. I don't know. Do check that out. He's also an author, which is incredible. He's written loads of books. Uh, one of which was called Crap at the Environment, which is very different to the other books. He's normally done fiction stuff, but he wrote one about 10 years ago about the environment and did a, a comedy show about it as well. Um, and that was kind of how we originally started chatting a few years ago over a, a I don't know, a shared worry about climate change and stuff like that or, or I think basically because we both had done some comedy on it and not many people have yeah so this is my conversation with Mark we recorded it in a little room uh, so do excuse the sound quality but yeah hope you enjoy it thanks I'm with Mark Watson and we're talking about his carbon footprint which is uh, we've calculated roughly you know this is a rough thing about 16 tonnes I mean, it's, it sounds like a lot for a person. Which is a lot for a person. So the 2020 target that they've got on this WWF calculator is 10.5 tonnes. So you're not too bad. 163% of, your, uh, of, of that target. Which, yes. And you took a flight to Australia and back. Yeah, the trouble is, is I, I, do, I will normally do that in a year. Here we go. So there's a breakdown of the 16 tonnes. Sure enough, travel is more than half of it. It's travel. <laughs> a massive yellow... That's interesting. If I hadn't... Gone, if I didn't go to Australia, yep. then uh, my carbon footprint wouldn't be as bad as I thought. Instinctively, it probably was. Yeah. But um, going to Australia is an annual, mostly annual thing for me because of uh, the festival, the Melbourne Festival out there. So it's yep. kind of an important fixture in my uh, life. Yep. 
Angier, but also I do love it there. It's one of my favorite, probably is my favorite place to go. So it's quite a stark example of the climate change dilemma, which yeah. is never going to Australia again would be something that would horrify me because I, I, I've got friends there, I love it there. It's a part of your life. It's part of my life, but it does feel to me like uh, those sorts of changes in people's lives are what we're talking about when yeah. we talk about reducing. Like, the amount that flying accounts for a carbon footprint is astonishing to it's me. Crazy. I mean, because it, if we absolutely get down to it, we could manage without it. Like, it's... it's and it, but it would be awful. There'd be loads and loads of terrible consequences for, our, for how much we enjoyed our lives. Yeah. But it's weird to think that yeah. it would be possible to... I imagine if you took the Australia flight out of it, I'd still be over, but there would then be quite a lot of things I could easily do, like uh, light bulbs and, you know, I probably could get in under the target. But it's when you start asking people to not travel, yeah. it feels like a fundamental... Effect. Uh, a, a violation of something that people feel they ought to be able Strong to do, way basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Freedom. You're restricting people's freedom yeah, and in their own you lives. You and I have talked about this before. It, when you start talking about uh, reducing climate change in terms of what if we didn't do this, people are very resistant to that idea because of the idea of freedom, because we have grown up thinking, uh, I can pretty much do what I want. <laughs> in the Western world, that is. And as middle-class people with some income, you, you tend to think, yeah. it's only in the past five years or however long you've been interested in climate change that you've ever heard people say, but what if we didn't do this for the sake of the planet? Yeah. And it's odd because but, yeah it's weird though because I guess it, it comes back to those sort of uh, you know like other things like civil rights or other things it's like freedom is only okay to do if it's not impacting other people absolutely right and clearly yes. it is impacting it's just that the, the logical link to who it's impacting that is isn't yeah, absolutely true yeah the reason that it's difficult to persuade people uh, not to exercise those freedoms is because, as you say, you you don't meet uh, any of the people that are directly impacted by you yeah. taking a flight, and some of them haven't been born yet, yeah. and so on, and some of them are species that you do not. So those <laughs> things are very much more difficult. For but it's really interesting, isn't it? If you if everybody believed that they were directly impoverishing someone else, even an unborn person, by getting on a plane, yeah. in the same way that you accept that if you buy. Uh, unfairly traded goods or, or sweatshop you know, that is damaging people it's just that you can't it's very hard to make that link between like, you taking a plane to Mexico and someone else's actual life getting worse yep. I think this is a problem we have I think you talked about it in your show in fact for too long the argument has been think of the polar bears and think of the ice caps and stuff like that and people can pretty much live their lives without worrying too much about polar bears yeah. you know, if it was if, uh, think about but actually, what well, I was going to say was, if it was think about twenty million people having nowhere to live, then that's. But even you can't even do that, can you? Because you can't. You just can't comprehend that. Yeah. You need to. You need it to be. Think of this one person who's a child who won't have a home or something. Then maybe you know. Yeah. But this is a big problem, I think, with climate change rhetoric. Is like I just saw the uh, comedian Phil Wang talk about this in Melbourne. In fact, he was oh, talking cool. about how going vegan was very likely the best thing to do in a lot of ways, morally and globally and everything. But again, the argument was nearly always, it's cruel to animals, think about animals, we shouldn't, which is a good argument, but if you aren't an animal lover, you ultimately don't care about that as much as you care yeah. about yeah. your burger. Yeah. Whereas if it was, go vegan or the planet will be destroyed, then more people would be into that idea. Yeah. Every time I think about going vegan or even giving up red meat or vegetarian, it is purely because of the, 
the, the greenhouse the, the, yeah. gases. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I, I accept that the, uh, eating animals is probably wrong on loads of levels, but I have been doing it all my life, and I yeah. I like it. No, it's I, terrible, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I think I'm probably the, <laughs> the exact same. Like the the, the way. You know, and it might work for some people. The messaging might work for some people who really care about animals, but you can't use that messaging for everybody. So it's not enough people that exactly. there'll ever be a massive switch. No. Yeah. Whereas if you talk about the health benefits of changing your diet yes. and having, you know, a really small. So there was a, a study out this year uh, from the Lancet Commission, which I will probably put in a fact at this point in the yep. podcast over the top. But they came out with a thing about a, a planetary diet. Yeah. So it's basically if everyone on the planet ate this this exact meal every, every day, day for the rest of time, you'd all everybody would benefit in all these ways in terms of health yeah. and people would benefit all these ways in terms of reduced yeah. emissions. And like we the planet would be better. Yeah. But and that's a you know, I d I don't think it's maybe been made in a way that's got out there into the public yeah. sphere as much, but Giving people an exact example of what that meal might be. Really interesting. It'd be great. It's really interesting. It's inter like what's difficult to understand is, fifty years ago, we, people couldn't fly like they do now anyway. Yeah. And I suppose people ate more meat and stuff. We didn't have such a varied diet. But basically, a lot of the freedoms that we're now exercising, we just regard as being part of our humanity. But it's just really a couple of generations that have been able to like fly to France or something. You know, it wasn't a thing. None of the things that we think we deserve as humans are actually written into our DNA yeah. or anything. They're just things that we happen to have now because we were born now. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, the history of human civilization. I, I'd imagine the you know the number of people who have taken a holiday. Yeah, somewhere. Oh, the, yeah, the proportion of people ever born that left the country of their birth would be amazingly low if you could get stats on that. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, because even in this world. Like far more people than you think have never been on a plane. So if you look across human history, of course, but you are you're born thinking that whatever you're born into is is the norm. Is the norm yeah, and I think that is part of the problem as well. It it's hard to take things away from people, or even ask them to give up things that they've always had. Um, yeah, because, and I, a lot of it is when I look at the uh, people who don't even, don't even argue against climate science, but just argue against doing anything about it the, the sort of Piers Morgans of the world who are like well, well what they're going to take this away now well what's the point an awful lot of it all you can hear is people saying but I've lived for 50 years and I've always had these things I want to still have the things so much of the the defence of the defence of it is it, it's so much of it to me feels like people saying but I, I like I've, I like having stuff though and I worked hard all my life so I could have this stuff and take these holidays and stuff. Why are you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those yeah. are understandable points of view, but that's not the same as saying, uh, I don't think th that we should be doing this. Like, yeah, you know. yeah. And I think that's a huge proportion of the population who are maybe not getting reached properly with climate messaging. Because yeah. Because people aren't going beyond, you know, you then, if people come up with that self defense thing, well, you need to find better ways of. Yes. Talking to them about it. Well, absolutely, and that's what you're doing, and that's what everyone... That's what I mean, you did it long before me, Mark. Uh, yeah, but not very... It's interesting. I think back to it. I, so I did these lectures in Al Gore's foundation yeah. more than 10 years ago, and it's interesting to try and look, to look back on it now. People were very um, receptive to the message. It was already a, a, a thing, obviously, but I, I always felt... 
confident I could, as you do, encourage people to say, change to a green energy provider or um, maybe give up meat once a week or, you know. It, it, but it's just when you start asking people to, to make bigger changes, you know, like, I mean, a green energy provider doesn't even hurt you. It's going to likely to cost you less and yeah. you do it in 10 seconds. I think a lot it's of the problem is that. Yeah. Yeah. We're all, the easy stuff. We're all fine with the easy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Even fitting uh, energy-saving light bulbs is not a huge ask. It's when it becomes, yeah. don't go on plane on your holiday or, or go fully vegan, say. Or it's, it's yeah. a lot. And for quite a while, I've been wondering, uh, will, will, will there come a crisis point where either we force people to make lifestyle changes, say, by imposing carbon taxes or whatever? Yeah, or, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing is, it seems like we sort of are at that point. It's just no one really, nothing's changed. Like, yeah. That's the weird thing about it. I, I, when, I, when I was doing uh, involved in Al Gore's program and stuff, it was 2007 8, he just made the Inconvenient Truth yeah. film. There was a feeling that it was uh, a crisis moment, like a, a, a call to immediate action to avert apocalypse. And what's weird 10 years later is. Uh, we're still in that moment of crisis, but everyone is still acting like, oh, we should be all right. We could probably hang on in there for another 10 years and then we'll see where we are. It's quite exhausting, isn't it, for 10 years to talk about a crisis? Yeah, yeah. most crises are dealt with within 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a really difficult thing about climate change, which it doesn't have in, in common with really anything else, I don't think. Yeah. If there was a, most humanitarian crises, like famine or something, or gigantic problems like earthquakes there is this global call to like we need to help we need to raise 200 million pounds yep any problem that we can globally throw money at basically we will we maybe maybe the money gets squandered the problem doesn't go away but we can do that we're good at mobilizing ourselves yeah we're just not good at saying uh, everybody needs to actually change the way they live their lives so to change our entire society we need to change society yeah so that society functions for as long as Possibly. Yeah. yeah, as humans, we are much more into here is a crisis, here is the dramatic action we can take. Yeah. I, I've said this before on stage, like we have so many narratives about, you know, films, disaster movies are always about uh, aliens want to wipe us out, yeah. a meteor is heading for Earth, Nicolas Cage alone can solve this problem. And it's very human that actually this probably is our meteor, this is, this is what's going to do us, but there isn't a hero that can just there's no dramatic there's no know. hero and there's no real you know there's sort of villains but it's not obvious yeah it's it's, it's something seems something very human about it that yeah. we always think in terms of someone's out to get us aliens are going to come something or someone there's yeah. a story there are baddies who if we can repel them but in this story we're sort of the baddies and we don't like that as humans yes, <laughs> that's, that's right listeners each and every single one of you is a baddie but also the hero Yes, the potential hero. Potential we, we hero. We all be Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Yes. Well, Nicolas Cage himself it cannot become any more Nicolas, Nicolas Cage. Cage no, no he, he is. is. He is at maximum Nicolas 100% Cage. Hundred percent Nicolas Cage. Yeah. He's as Nicolas Cage. I mean, sometimes you, you can get. well, sometimes you see him in a film and you think, well, that is even more Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Than I thought Nicolas Cage could possibly be. All of us have moments where we wake up and we think, I can't really remember how I got here or who I am, and you know. But I reckon for Nicolas Cage, he is solidly every he day. is always himself. Have you seen the film with him in it with uh, Cher? It's like. Oh, I can't remember what it's I already called. think the answer is no, because I think I'd remember, You'd remember that. seeing that. Yeah. It is one of the most mental performances. I, it's like he's very young and he's lost like a hand or something. Yeah. And he's a baker. And the, the, the introduction yeah, scene... Yeah, I don't believe I have seen this now. It is one of the most wonderful things I have 
really ever seen in my life his performance in that film and he plays like the sort of I'm sure it's Cher yeah I went through a stage of I believe Cher films (laughs) (laughs) that much is clear from what you're saying yeah I'm not going to question your motives that's what happened it was Mermaids and then there was another one the film was called Moonstruck I can't believe I didn't remember what the film was called so annoying Nicholas Cage has been a digression here. Yeah, sorry. So let's quickly go back to just, per- very quickly go back to personal stuff on yes. you and then we'll jump on to some other things. Um, you tour a lot. Yeah. So yeah, do you find it quite hard to make that assist? Like you said, you eat at a lot of like, you're eating out a lot. Yeah, there's no doubt that a touring is a, is a bad lifestyle for making um, long-lasting lifestyle changes because it's not your real lifestyle. You're aware that yeah. you're, you're sort of, I mean... I'll eat in restaurants or in hotels or basically wherever I can get fed for half the week. I got off stage last night and had a hot dog straight after and yeah. I try not to eat meat as much as possible but I... Sometimes it's not possible. And right? I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm really hungry, I'm, exa- I'm more exhausted than I felt for uh, as long as I can remember. This is another problem, I think. It, you do tend to gravitate towards comfort food, comfort. easy stuff. Yeah. 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 And often on tour, you don't have the familiar things around you. You don't have... You don't, yeah. So you make choices which make you feel better immediately, like yes. a hot dog or a curry. Or, yes. you know. It's to, it's to keep your you know, motivation, to keep your energy and mm. keep your sort of happiness up when you're at a time where you're yeah. out of your yeah, comfort zone. But this is the thing, isn't it? There's excuses like that forever if you want them. To be fair to us, if you had a nine-to-five job and you knew exactly what time you were getting home every evening, yep. if you're the sort of person that can plan a week's meals and go and do a shop for those week's meals... Yeah. I, then you could make some headway on your carbon footprint quite quickly. Yeah. But I've, I can't remember the last time I had a week where I was planning seven meals ahead like that. <laughs> seven dinners ahead. Tipping points. Tipping points. Environmental tip of the week. Share a bath with your parents. Environmental Tip of the week. Boys. Let's move on to a news story, which is uh, about chips. Do you are you a big fan of chips? Actually, I'm not a huge chips man. I mean, I no. do eat them, obviously, but but you're not. I wouldn't just get a bag of chips or something. I, I was never really into chips until quite recently, and I think. Don't know what it is. I've hit an age where all of a sudden fish and chips has now become one of my favourite Interesting, yeah. things. And it, it wasn't for a long time. I don't know if it's like a... You get a lot of good stuff in Scotland. I think maybe I miss it and it feels like some sort of connection to... Actually, if I can get chips with curry sauce or something like you often Ooh, get in Scotland, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go for that. That's probably my favourite uh, iteration sauce of chips. Is, yeah. I mean, whoever came up with that, blending... It's a genius and I hope he's now a millionaire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if you can trademark chips and curry sauce. Um, so the story is about uh, how Britain's chips are under threat due to climate change because of unpredictable weather. And basically, uh, last year, the potato snack chips was uh, about an inch shorter on average because in 2018, the heat waves uh, robbed the soils of the, the water that the, the chips would use. Do you... Well, you, you said you're not a huge chip fan. Do you care about the size of your chips? I don't think I'm a person that would look at a, a bunch of chips and say, these seem an inch shorter on average than I was hoping. <laughs> I'd be, yeah. I mean, 
The thing is, small chips, I find them quite disappointing. I mean, like, like I, if, I, if I get a small, it's a lot of effort to keep piling chips in your mouth. No, I know what you mean. And if I, you're going to get some curry, like curry sauce, you want to be dipping. That's true, actually. If you're a sizable like, chip into, curry I like sauce. a garlic mayo as well. Ooh, I, I like I like to dip chips in mayo. things. So yes. then you are looking for length. You're right. Otherwise, the dipping becomes uh, non-starter. Non-starter. Yeah. You can't dip stuff. I'm starting, I, never, I didn't I'm even think about this. No, but no. no the I dip industry is going to be affected <laughs> by this. <laughs> the, the dipping culture is going to be wrecked if there's another couple of hot summers. Yeah. Condiments, Hellman's me. All all these people, you know. Ketchup. If I'm making aioli right now, I'm thinking I hope chips remain as long as they currently are. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. otherwise. We're done for. Yeah, God. Um, this is the thing. Everything has consequences yeah, for more people. No, than I think we are probably the first people to think of this. We are. Not we've, even. We've, we've, we've hit on a very important consequence of climate change yeah. that has not even been discussed yet. Not even Heinz have thought of this yet. And now they're they're hearing this and they're going, "Oh God, we need to really do something about it." I was. I, this was another thing. On top of this was, um, I'll maybe cover this in another story. It was about beer prices. So basically, barley uh, harvests are going to reduce a lot. Yeah. In the future and. Most of the barley gets used for animal feed. So if we keep eating and increasing the amount of meat that we're having... We can't also have beer. We can't also have beer. Whoa. And the choice is meat is or a, beer. That's a Hobson's choice, isn't it? Whatever the phrase is. <laughs> would, you, would you want more meat or beer? Now, I'm a wine drinker, so I, I, I can manage without beer. But presumably there's consequences for the wine. Yeah. Although, surely grape harvests will also go to hell. I think they will when they'll need more water. And I water mean, yeah, you can't drink wine without a healthy climate. There's there's wines that or grapes that thrive in yeah. drier climates, all, but yeah. I don't think any of them I guess thrive most, in like, desert conditions. Most of the grape places are all in quite hot. You know, you're talking about uh, South Africa, yeah, Australia, Australia, Australia kind of places that are going to really get affected by this. Yeah, and in fact, in Australia, I, I went to a winery last month during my uh, oh yeah, during a month there, during my festival time there, and uh, this guy was saying, uh, the bloke that ran a winery in uh, just outside Melbourne in Victoria, he right. was saying, um, we we've always grown a particular type of grapes. I think it was, it was maybe Chardonnay type grapes or something. But anyway, he, he was saying we we have switched to this type of grape because we reckon will be a degree hotter in wow. 10 years' time, and we need to factor that in. And I think if you live somewhere like Australia, the Aussies do talk about it much more because it's already hot there, so a couple of extra degrees there, and there's bushfires or uh, wineries don't produce... The, the consequences in a country like that are quite visible. It's already really hot. Yeah. So yeah. I often think that. The times I've been to Australia, if you live in a warm enough climate you don't have trouble persuading people that that more heat is a problem because it is a they, is they a killer deal, they deal with that yeah. yeah yeah part of our problem although it seems ridiculous like such a stereotype of a it seems like a, a hack joke but it's true it's often not very warm here so we do all fall into the trap of thinking oh it's lovely how hot it is here yeah. but Australians don't do that yeah. they don't want it to be hot yeah. Yeah. they're like we've got enough yeah <laughs> no more hoys yeah, I guess that's a really good point. The UK is actually supposed to be one of the biggest benefits of climate change because things are moving, you know, so fr- yeah. what would have grown in southern France or middle France will now get grown in England and all of a sudden you're going to have loads of English wines. Yes, I think you had a joke about this in your show, didn't you, about how oh, yeah. Brexit doesn't matter because we'll essentially be the same as France. We're going to be yeah. French very soon. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and this, that's a great example of of the how insular you can get as, yeah. as a society thinking well we're alright we're going to have yeah. slightly more strawberries or <laughs> yeah. yeah doesn't matter screw the rest of them put the news off yeah. eat the strawberries yeah. and put your fingers in your ears yeah I 
Wimbledon, the sorts of strawberries. Yeah, better they'll than be ever. all right, those oh. guys with their £15 punnets of strawberries. <laughs> um, okay, so the chips. We've, at least we've come, you know, we've come across something which I don't think anyone's thought about. Which is, yeah, and the chips, is a, it was a good discussion to have because I instinctively think I don't care that much about chips, but you start talking about how you can't dip them in things and that is yeah. a problem. And as we've said, that's a good example of how you don't always think through the consequences of everything. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You will have heard about these ideas like carbon credits uh, systems and things and where ultimately each individual would be sort of limited in terms of what they could... You could either have a holiday or you can have... Yeah. Do you think we're at a point of climate emergency where some sort of dramatic, massively unpopular legislation is going to have to happen? Or do you think uh, we can still pull it back with smaller scale action? Well, I, I think so. Th- I think it's really coming into focus now. Mm. This sort of question. It feels like it is now. Yeah. We have to work this out yeah. quite soon now. Yeah, and I think this. To me, it feels like there's two separate kind of solutions being put forward, mm-hmm. and one is that we do it in ten years, and one is that we do it over the course of thirty years. Yeah. Right. And I've seen you talking about this. Yeah, like petitioning like thirty years is surely too long, right? Because yeah, well, it is, but as long, but I just mean in terms of actually achieving the final yeah. sort of goal. So thirty years is too long if we did nothing about it. Okay, but, but if you're going to, you could do everything we need to do. You could try so and do it, do it brutally, in brutally, years, exactly, or you or could slightly spread it over less painful years. way yeah, and right. do it over thirty years. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the the. To me, that feels like the point that we're now people are now arguing about. Yeah, and it depends. I, either of those has to happen. One of those has to happen. Yeah, yeah. And so whoever is going to win that argument of what has to happen, we need to have that debate right now. Right now. And then if it's 10 years, it's going to be fairly brutal yeah. and we're going to have to replace every car in the UK will have to be replaced. Yeah. And every boiler in the UK will have to be replaced. You know, so it's looking it's, like the 30 years is... Uh, Politically, Politically, it's going to be much easier to do that, isn't it? Exactly. But even then, it's not that much time. So that would be roughly what you would have to do is the the suggestion is that you would have to ban all new petrol and diesel cars in 10, so by 2030, say, so in 10 years. Yes, which is, is that your petition? Yes, I had a petition last year and actually... Because that does seem 
possible to me. I think so. I don't know about the manufacture of electric cars. I don't know how many we can make, but yeah. it doesn't seem impossible to. But it's it, but it gives at least enough time for companies to go. Okay, yes. well, we've got okay, some we, time to do this, yeah. and then there's the twenty years after that to be like, okay, so every new car has to be electric beyond twenty thirty. Yes, and we've put in the infrastructure to, that, to yeah, deal that could with happen that. if we started now. I yeah. would think. Yeah, um, and then. You would all the cars that come off the road would then obviously have to be replaced. You could only yeah. replace them by light, and it depends how much you scrap. But either that's just one part of like the whole problem would be say transport. You've cars. still got planes. There's and, still everything yeah. else that you have to deal and with. And also, even while we're talking about this, there's a new Heathrow runway coming. There's a new like. <laughs> there's no sign that the aviation industry will be slowed down anytime soon. No, like, no, and that's you know, and that's government. So the other question is like, we now need to make governments make decisions that are consistent with what they're saying. So you can't say, yeah. we need to do stuff about climate change. Climate change is a huge priority. It needs yeah. to be so far up the list that you can't then open another runway. Be- yeah, because... you, you would think we were already at that point. Yeah. Like, I, I don't see how the case for a third runway at Heathrow can be stronger than the case f- f- for keeping the yeah. planet yeah. Uh, going. I mean, I know it's not quite that stark, but, but it's a lot more planes coming in and out of Heathrow surely isn't a step forward well, it's definitely not the solution and it's it's business as you it's continuing the way we are just now and not as yeah well. and at times like that you do sort of you, I mean despair is not the word but you do worry because you can't help thinking uh, Heathrow is already massive like yes. I understand the need for business for infrastructure for I obviously I understand the need for planes to but uh Keeping Heathrow at the size it is, having the number of flights we already, <laughs> already do have is yeah. a problem. Yeah. So it feels amazing to me that we can have had a long debate over whether we should make, make Heathrow it, much bigger. Should we make this problem worse? A debate which has ended in saying, "Yeah, all right." <laughs> that is that stuff like that makes you think. Yeah. Well, businesses and government can say as much as they want about climate change being a priority, but that feels like an enormous move towards. And you just wonder whether that is going to keep happening. Yeah. Government. We're talking about it, but not it, it, really. Like, it, yeah, it can't keep ha- that. It just keep can't, happening. right? Like it can't. Yeah. I mean, and it has been for you know twenty years, thirty years. I mean, if you look at the difference that my one flight to Australia made on the carbon footprint, uh, yeah, increasing the size of Heathrow by a third. Is, I mean, it doesn't. You can't think about it. It's, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? So uh, that's the kind of. I think stage we're at where yeah. either it has to be well there have to be some political measures now in yeah. place but it's just about the and time scale that exactly. we choose yes. so and do you think if it was 30 years it is still possible to avert the damage that we're or I, I think we'll probably yeah because it feels like that's what will happen yeah the the world's governments will yeah collectively do stuff which is Good, but, but not, not quite too yeah. damaging yeah. to anyone. Yeah. So I think we'd end up hitting something. Yeah, if we did that, we'd you know, and, and the rest of the world roughly followed suit. Yeah, just that because it's, it's also about whether the UK, given that the UK is responsible for historically, like a huge. I'll, I'll add in something here, but I think historically the UK is certainly was responsible for most of the emissions across the world for a long time yeah. and still and even now we're punching above, above our weight, weight. Yeah. for the size we are yeah. exactly the UK is actually responsible between the years 1850 and 2007 for around 5.8% of all emissions that had ever occurred 
Um, and if you do it on a per capita basis, the UK was the second highest country uh, emitting per capita, uh, just behind Luxembourg. And then it's whether we want to be leading the world. So we, we yeah. can, and we have done bits really well over the last while, but yeah. but, but we've not kept pushing it. Yeah, we've sort of. Patted ourselves on the back for being like, oh, we've done, we've put this legislation in and we've started reducing this thing, and now it's like, well, either we keep on that path or we go even further and show the world how to do this. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, the problem with it is, and we've, you know, we've had this discussion before as well. Sure. It's not, uh, it's not a sexy subject, and so to make positive changes, you have to. Like that thing of patting ourselves on the back is so true, which is very British, and it's also just very human to be like, right, well, we've done that. We've got um, this. We've got a building now, which is uh, carbon neutral. So that's pretty good. The trouble with this is you have to keep making changes yeah. that no one will give you credit, a pat on the back for. I think that's we problem. like a pat on the back. We really like we don't really have back. enough time to keep pat- like if to, to go vegan for the sake of the planet. Yeah, you'd want someone every day to say this is amazing what you're doing. Yes, but but what we need is to do these things without any congratulation to do it because it's the right thing. And that again comes back to this thing of if we could save the planet by collectively fighting off aliens, then we will because we'll all feel good about it. Yeah, but a lot of the stuff we need to do now, you don't even feel that good about it. <laughs> I mean, you just you have, you're doing it because you have to do it, and that is yeah. not an easy sell, is it? It's not an easy. And that's sell. why I sometimes think. We're just going to need to pass a series of laws to. Yep. I mean, I, if I was prohibited by law from flying uh, to Australia, or if it was like once you, a year, you could do it once a year. Or, that's sorry, right. if it's it seems Australia say once every five years. Yeah, and sure. there was a quota. Yep. Then I would find that very upsetting. But I would do it. I would. But I'd be like, well, this law has been passed because otherwise we yep. are there is a catastrophe. It is. It is theoretically possible to reach Australia over land. Like if you leave yeah, enough yeah, time, yeah, I yeah. would find ways around it. Yeah. Um, or anything like that. If if overnight red meat became unavailable because you just it was right for us not to eat it, I'd be pissed off. But again, I would be like, "All right, how, what else am I going to do then?" Yeah. And I think loads of people would. I'm not advocating um, big government stroke totalitarianism in most areas, but I sometimes do think we might have to just go for it. pass some incredibly yeah. unpopular laws and then see how we adapt as a society. Yeah, I mean, I've always said I think the the major hope that we have, right? Well, I see a major hope. Uh, one aspect is that China is like basically the biggest polluter in the world. Yeah. But also, China has a government which can do things yes. very quickly yeah. if it wants to. <laughs> they can get results, yeah. <laughs> results based industry. Um, and actually, if they decided, okay, we're just going to do this, yeah. They could do it very quick, in a, in a, a much quicker than perhaps we could do it. Yes, the Chinese but, government are able to uh, yes, get, sort of get in their way a lot of the time. <laughs> get shall we say. Yeah, a little bit of power residing there, um, which is not a reason to for much hope, but also uh, it shows you that if you do have more strict laws or whatever or, or mm. decisions, then actually you can achieve things very much yeah, quicker. I never thought I'd be a, a person that would be that would be saying things like, well, all we need is just tougher laws and things like some yeah, sort of Daily Mail yeah, 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 except yeah. not like a Daily Mail reader because they would say we need tougher laws on some things but, but definitely not, not this, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I do, as I... feels like an uncharitable thing to say but I'm only saying it because I include myself in it. There, There is an argument. You People on the, people will just not do this stuff on a big enough scale unless yes. 
there are laws come in which say, and it doesn't have to be laws, like you, you can't fly, yeah. you can't have uh, spaghetti bolognese, yeah. but perhaps if, if, if there were laws which um, forced you to stay below a certain threshold carbon-wise, you'd find a way of doing it. Yeah. Um, but also I think the argument that people make is that they won't do it themselves because other people like, well, yeah. I can do this, but what? You know, it doesn't matter. Because that's the other thing. So if there's a law in place, then it means you go, well, everyone has to do this. That's the so thing. I'm much more willing to accept the fact that my next door neighbour also has to. And, and that's true, and that's human nature. Yeah. If, I was, if I prohibited myself from eating red meat because of the planet, I'd be furious that everyone else wasn't yeah, doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes you do think, but if we were all in the same boat. The trouble, I suppose, is that if you're a politician... I don't even really blame them. They've got to try to get re-elected. Yeah. And politicians will always make decisions which they think will be popular. Yeah. And there's no way this can be done in a popular way, so I don't what, think. I think we've just stumbled across the answer, which is we need politicians that don't want to get re-elected. Yeah, we need politicians who genuinely do want to have four years in office where they do it. some good and they disappear forever. And, and yeah. go and do something else. <laughs> Those are the people we need. Yeah. And, which almost is possible if yeah. you've got someone who was in charge... Like who was a kind of uh, maverick figure who was just like, I'm going to be Prime Minister and um, yeah. you're going to do what I say for four years and then <laughs> you will never see me again. That's what I'm we need. Going, um, but unfortunately, because of our party system, uh, <laughs> if you tried, if you were in charge, if you were the leader of the Conservative Party and you started doing this, you'd be deposed within three weeks. And that's yeah, the problem. That's problem. While political parties exist, it is hard for people to pass yeah. unpopular laws because there's 20 people in their ear going, but we'll lose votes now. We'll, you know... Uh, it makes you think we should dissolve all the political parties and just vote in some dude every time as Prime Minister. <laughs> or, you know. Everybody has to stand for four years. Every single person has to be... Like with jury duty, you might have to be Prime Minister <laughs> at some point. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah. If you were voted in, you cannot say no to it. You have to be in charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That'd be great. I think everybody would just be you'd, be... you'd get a letter through the post. Christ, I'm Prime Minister. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Uh, OK, I better get thinking of some ideas. Oh, right, I'll have a, I'll have a think. Yeah. yeah. And then you just end up with some person that's really, like, I don't know, into some conspiracy theory about flight. And then all that of a sudden... That is the problem, yeah. yeah. Well, we, you, you'd have to filter it a bit. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there'd be some sort of check system in place. And Our then... current political system is not very good for identifying the right people to run the country, but a completely random choice is also not the way to go, I think. Yeah, so we yeah. need somewhere in between that. Something in, it, yeah. Yeah, something in between random and self-selecting narcissists yes is what, that's right yeah it's what we're actually but what after. political system that would be nobody yet knows no we've not you know we've not come across it great well thanks very much anything else you want to no I think basically I'll just go in and have a think now as usual as usual after these discussions yeah it's always nice to have a, have a, have a but like even now I'm going to get I'm going to have to eat I, I would like a pizza yeah and I probably I probably am going to go for a meat topping even after this discussion that's the thing but if if I went out there and the law had changed in the past hour and it said there's Pepperoni only vegetarian food, then I'd, I'd adapt, I'd find a way. I think I am a good example of a sort of well-meaning but not very strong-willed citizen. Yeah. So I would welcome laws that forced me to do stuff. It's not a very popular point of view, but I think I would. <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of similar people out there. <laughs> Tell me what I'm not allowed and yeah, I'll do it. I, I don't want to get, I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, I'm a conformist. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to rebel against it. Got you. Great. Um, anything you'd like to plug? Well, I'm on I'm on tour almost yeah. constantly. So if you want to see a guy who's hungry on stage, uh, as we've discussed, <laughs> if you you're a hungry fun, man is doing comedy, someone that, and I'll always give a hundred percent on stage. I never, 
I never kind of slack off or anything, but there can't be a comedian that hasn't had at least 10% of his brain going, I wonder what I will have after this thing. Yeah. The good thing is, if you're experienced enough, you can still be 100% in the show and your brain does that by itself. Yeah. I don't need to... I, I never get distracted by thoughts of food. I'm just aware there's a department in my brain that is permanently <laughs> calculating where the next meal is. <laughs> a good insight there into the minds of... Yeah, hungry. any comedian you, you watch... Yeah. It's not that they're not concentrating or that they don't care about the audience, but yeah. a little bit of them is thinking about where dinner is going to come from and what it will be. During that always. big laugh. During the big <laughs> laugh, yeah. The, the bigger the laugh, yeah. the, like, the if longer you watch you McIntyre or something on TV, I guarantee you, when there's a minute of applause, yeah. that minute, if he's got any sense, he's thinking, nah. <laughs> what am I having I've Googled this? various places around here. Oh, there was a nice Italian around the corner. <laughs> yeah, it's human nature. Because we're always on at 7.30 or 8. Yeah. You go on stage at the... I have a you sport act or anything. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm normally on from seven, like 8 to 10. You can't really eat before, not relax. So basically, yeah. we're, we're, we're working at people's dinner time. So what are you going to do? And then you get a bag of chips. You can't dip. Bag of chips, you they're know? tiny. You can't even oh, see you, them. Yeah. What are you going to do? Okay, so go and see Mark on tour. Uh, thanks very much for coming on. and Having a chat. And uh, I'll... I mean, I'll just sort of leave now. Yeah, well, I think that's the best idea. But, um, yeah, we, it's good. Mark and I, you know, are the only two people I know. Actually, no, there's a couple of other people that have talked about climate change. Yeah, Marcus Brigstock. Marcus Brigstock um, as well. Um, but, you know, you and it, I are the only ones... It an unfashionable topic for comedy. Oh, Laura yeah. Lex as well. Oh, yeah, Laura. She's quite got, Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. It's becoming... About. I think it's going to become more of a thing, isn't it? I hope so, yeah. So well, what it, I want to know, what I want to tell people is, this. you know, Mark started all of this... You know. like, oh, I think it is important. Uh, like comedians have to talk about it because yeah. humans have to talk about exactly. it. But there's only just enough jokes about it for uh, to cover us. Really, so I don't know how we're so going to manage. Don't bother doing yeah. anymore. Yeah, don't yeah. do new comedy about it if you don't mind. Yeah. Thanks very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure. So that was my conversation with Mark Watson. He's a very thoughtful, lovely man to chat to. You can see him at the Edinburgh Festival this year doing a work in progress show at the Stand Comedy Club. I think it's at one something in the afternoon. Uh, you can also see me there as well. I'm doing a show, Matt Winning, It's the End of the World as We Know It, which is on at the Pleasance Courtyard at 4.25pm. Tickets uh, on my website, mattwinning.com. Uh, there's other shows there as well. If you do want to get in contact with us about the podcast, you can at operationearth at gmail.com. We're also at opearthpod on Twitter and Facebook. And the show was produced and edited by Emma Corsham. Uh, all the music by the composer Daniel Drever and the design and logo was done by Chum Chi Design and it was listened to by yourself I hope you're back next week Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad High quality fashion without the price tag Say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.